In the interest of full disclosure, if I seem a little tired this morning, it's because I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night and wanted to stay back from church to rest. Uh, then my mom and dad convinced slash compelled me to come. And then I looked in the program and lo and behold, I'm reading the Old Testament. Um, so honor your father and mother and whatnot. Um, slash put things in your calendars and come to church regularly. In any case, uh, the first reading this morning, uh, the Old Testament reading, will be from Psalm 107. Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 3, and then skip over a page to verses 17 through 22. The first bit is on page 603, and the second is on 604. Psalm 107. <clears throat> Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some become fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wondrous deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament lesson is from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. You can find that on page 1174 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. My name is Matt Postma. Pardon me while I make sure that I can speak. Uh, I'm an elder here. I also am a, an ordained pastor uh, associated with this congregation. Uh, and my day job uh, is to work with the Colossian Forum, which is a local nonprofit. Um, but I'm really glad to be able to open the word of the Lord uh, with you this morning. Uh, as we approach this, would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is the church season of Epiphany, the season after Christmas where the arrival of Jesus, the light of Jesus, changes how we perceive the world and ourselves in it. The texts today are not traditional Epiphany texts, but they do invite us to see God's arrival redefining how we see the world, especially because of one unassuming word. Paul is the author of this letter to the Ephesians, and perhaps some of us would like to think of Paul's one life-changing word as grace. And that would be a, a good word for anyone who knows Paul. That would that would not be totally incorrect, but the word that changes everything in today's text is a simple conjunction, but. Paul was in prison in Rome, most likely in house arrest, but he couldn't leave his home. He had been charged with bringing a Gentile into the temple. If you want to read more about that story, that's in Acts chapter 21, uh, verses 27 through 29. Uh, and then you can also see that he was held in house arrest uh, in Acts chapter 28, verse 16. So he, he was uh, charged with bringing a Gentile into the temple, and he was serving a sentence that would likely end in his execution. So Paul is in a house with very little to his name. He maybe has a few tools from his tent-making days, a few pieces of leather and twine, an empty flask, a sandal that's miscamped pear, uh, or a match, um, but near the window is a desk, and someone from the local church had been able to deliver a stack of parchment so that Paul could continue to write. Uh, if he couldn't preach, he was going to write. So Paul starts each letter, typically, with the usual greetings and thanksgivings, and Ephesians is no different. He had spent quite a bit of time in Ephesus at one point in his life, um, but he wasn't, maybe he wasn't sure if any of his old friends were still there, so he skipped the, the specific greetings to all of those friends. Um, and he, Paul probably would have had a scribe as well, someone to uh, help him write down the letter on the page as he spoke it or as he dictated. He would say something, and the scribe would take careful notes. But when you have no eraser or no delete key, um, there's no going back, and um, so you only get one go at it. So I imagine Paul speaking a few words and pausing for a little while, making sure that the scribe could catch up, 
that it would be captured faithfully, and so that uh, Paul could follow the leading of the Spirit. But if I were that scribe, sometimes I like to do this. I'd like to think about how I would be in that, in that setting. If I were the scribe, I think I would try to guess what Paul was going to say next. So when Paul said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. I think I might have tried to guess what was coming next. I would have, in my mind, uh, been wondering what else comes next. Paul likes to talk about the Spirit. I would guess maybe he talks about the Spirit. Uh, And the next words from Paul's mouth are, And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Yep. It was was a different spirit, but it was was still a spirit. Um, And I'm guessing that the scribe thought that he knew where the story was going. Paul is describing an old way, a way of trouble, a way of pride, a way of sin. He's describing this spirit who rules over this old way. The scribe may have tried to finish this story about sins and trouble all by himself. Maybe he thought Paul would really lay into them, rebuking them for reverting to this old way. Or maybe he would go into more description about their evil ways. And I'd like to think that Paul's next words took the scribe by surprise just a little bit. But God. But God. Wait, the story turns? And it's not a but we or a but I or a but you, but it's a but God? There are times when we think we've got the story finished or figured out too. We've written the tragic ending or tried to finish it off as a fairy tale in our minds. We say to ourselves, we know how this one ends. When I worked as a pastor at Calvin University, There were a number of students who sat in my office thinking that very same thing. I know how this one ends, or at least this will probably define me for the rest of my life. And sometimes that comes down to the fact that they're college students, they haven't lived very long, uh, and and some of these things are going to stay with them about as long as a bad haircut. But there were some real worries. There were some... Uh, some of them that would stay with them for a very long time. One of those students was Marie. And I've changed her name for this story. Uh, She was a sophomore student preparing for her junior year. She had applied to be a resident assistant and gotten the job. That was a pretty big deal. And it meant that her housing for her junior year was all squared away. It meant that she would be paying less overall for her education. Uh, And this made a difference as a first-generation college student. But in the last few weeks of her sophomore year, she made a mistake and broke a rule in the student conduct code, which made her ineligible for serving as an RA the next year. The job offer was revoked, and she needed to look for housing. My wife and I were house mentors in the Project Neighborhood program through Calvin. If you aren't familiar with Project Neighborhood, um, it was an intentional community of Calvin students plus mentors like me and my wife. Uh, And we lived in a house together for the academic year. Um, And we were also connected then to a neighborhood 
uh, and a local church. So we were plugged in, we were involved in, in a specific place, intentional Christian community. So Marie went to talk to Jana, my wife, to see if living in our house would be an option for her. Marie told her the whole story, the job offer to be an RA, the conduct violation, and the RA job offer revoked. Marie was resigned to the fact that we might not want to take a chance on her. And Jana remembers that Marie was all balled up in her chair, like hugging her knees while telling the story. To Marie, it, was, it probably felt like this could be the end of her college career. If she couldn't find an affordable place to live, she may have to go home. And once home, she may never return to college. One mistake, one moment, and everything changes. Life-changing events can only take a moment. And maybe you're thinking of your own life-changing events. Moments of a car accident or the word cancer. It's the word bankruptcy or divorce. It's amazing how much one moment can completely change the direction of your thoughts, of your attitudes, your desires, your hopes, and your dreams. And so often these words or moments are things that take life away from us. It ends up ripping life apart, leaving us a heap on the floor. Paul knew that feeling on the floor, literally laying on prison floors, feet raw from shackles and stocks he was made to wear, his back bleeding from the beatings, his temper short because he, was, uh, he hadn't slept in days, he was short on food, his soul weary and confused. His readers would know, too, frustrated that their crops failed again this year and their family goes hungry. These Christians in Ephesus would have faced public ridicule for their beliefs because they did things differently. They, they didn't worship the God of the Ephesians, nor did they participate in the magic of the occult. And because they didn't participate, they were treated as outsiders, people who didn't belong Shopkeepers would claim that they were closed when Christians walked in, refusing to sell to them. Paul could have finished telling us his story by describing the very difficult life he had, and we would have no trouble sympathizing with it. In fact, I filled in some details here, and you probably were nodding your head believing that it could be true. But Paul finishes the story differently. Paul says, but God... But God, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ. This changes everything. Because now, even though my life may be filled with pain and suffering, it won't always be filled with pain and suffering. It won't always be this way. There's a bigger picture. There's a greater story. It's a story that is better than anyone can tell. Paul says that while we were still dead, still stuck in temptation, in the midst of trouble and despair, still stuck in the mess of life, God made us alive with Christ. Christ's death and resurrection takes those life-changing moments and words and declares that this is not the end. Christ's death and resurrection proclaim authority over everything. 
claiming this, that all things will one day be made new. And in fact, they are already being made new. Paul's simple two words make all the difference in this story. But God. God did the work to make things right. God did what we couldn't do. God saved us from ourselves. God made it so that we are with Christ. God made it so that Christ's atonement for sin is our atonement for sin. Notice that whenever Christ is mentioned in today's text, we are, we're mentioned too, with Christ or in Christ. Salvation is not something we could have accomplished by ourselves, but God so bound our story with Christ's story that his story is our story. His win is our win. God does the binding and God does the saving, and it makes all the difference, changing how we are defined. What Christ did for us on the cross is what worked. But that doesn't mean we get the easy road or we're called to do nothing. There is much to be done, but the heaviest work is what God has already accomplished. With the but God, there's a switch, and something different takes over. For Marie, she was expecting that we would reject her. In Janice's conversation with her, there was a switch. Instead of interrogation, Marie received care and curiosity about who she was. What's your family like? What do, you, what do you enjoy doing when you don't have to do schoolwork or do homework or, or, or other work? Through the conversation, Jana noticed that Marie came out of her balled-up posture. She sat in the chair normally. The conduct violation that she had been worried about defining her time at Calvin was met with grace. And it was grace and love and connection and community that ultimately came to define her time in our Project Neighborhood house that year. Maybe you could finish your own story, or you've tried to finish your own story, and it's not all that great. It's got some high points, it's got some low points, but it kept on going with its troubles and temptations. If it kept on going with its troubles and temptations, it would lead to nothing but darkness. And that's where Paul says that we, as Christ followers, have a different way to define our story, especially in this season of Epiphany. He says, but God. But God loves you so much that he would redefine the ending of your story. God loves you so much that your imperfect ending could be made perfect in Christ. It's not a rewrite that you can do all by yourself. No one can. No one but God can redefine a story like that and make it a reality. Paul reminds us that we aren't at the end of the story yet either. But, he says, because God will make all things right, and because we're now in Christ, with Christ, we can begin to live our lives now as people who have been redefined, brought into this light, into this season of epiphany, seeing our stories differently. We can live and act as people with actual hope and real dreams that suffering will end. We are people of a story, a story that begins 
with but God. It's incredible how a simple conjunction can change so much. How Christ's followers live and hope and dream and act on that one conjunction and God's work that follows. One word changes so much. One word makes it plain that Jesus saved and redefined our lives. One word makes it clear that we have a greater hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for this season of epiphany that by Jesus we can see our lives differently, that we are redefined, that your Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us rewrite parts of our story with a but God as, as the starting point. We thank you for who you are and who you've made us to be and the ways that you continue to work in and through our lives. Help us in this coming week, as we go into this week, to remember that you are the light that guides us and your Holy Spirit attends with us. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.